Well, hello and welcome back to Vibe Beyond the Small Talk. I am flying solo today because between half term and a very busy diary, trying to get me and Andrew in the same place right now is a nigh on impossibility. So I hope everybody is well and don't worry, you're not just going to be stuck with me talking at you for uh, for the next little while because we have got an absolutely incredible guest joining us for today's conversation. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Natalie Brown, who is an expert in female health. And we're going to be talking all things menstrual cycles, menopause, how we manage this as leaders in ourselves, but also how we manage those in our teams that are experiencing these symptoms. And Andrew guarantees me that he did not miss today's podcast because of the subject matter. In fact, I think he's genuinely devastated to be missing today's chat. But... Without further ado, let's get started. Okay, and welcome to the podcast, Dr. Natalie Brown, or as we're going to call you today, Nat, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks, and thanks for having me on the podcast with you today. Oh, it's an absolute delight to have you along. I think the best place to start today is just with a little bit of an introduction to yourself so that our listeners know who you are, what you do, and what your sort of real areas of interest and specialism are. So do you want to just start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, that sounds great. So I am a research associate based at Swansea University. Um, My area of research is all around female health, specifically the menstrual cycle. Um, And I've been doing that for six years now. Um, but actually, previously, I worked very much in sports science um, with a background in physiology. I kind of got into this area of work. My PhD was actually in elite sport performance, really looking at hormonal responses in males and females. And through that process of kind of exploring research, exploring literature, really identifying that actually there was this gap in terms of started off looking at just an elite performance in female athletes, there was this massive gap, but actually quite quickly started exploring more and more across a wider female population that a lot of research is like more focused on males, or we don't really consider hormonal responses in females and how that impacts not just sport performance, but kind of a more holistic health and wellbeing perspective as well. So yeah, very much started off um, from a research perspective and more, you know, still continuing that research to provide an evidence base, but also linking with others. So I've got my own kind of um, website and consultancy around optimal period now um, to try and actually help support females to you know, hopefully that that optimal highlights what I'm trying to do is really trying to help optimize females in different aspects of their day to day lives. That's amazing. And our regular listeners will know that I'm very big into sport myself, former gymnast and gymnastics coach. And I first came across your work through some of the work that I've been doing from a sporting context around helping sort of optimised training plans around menstrual cycles for performance gymnasts from the age of kind of 12 upwards. Um, And as I was working on a lot of that stuff, we were having conversations, myself and Andrew were having conversations of, well, what are all of these challenges that we're facing in education? What are the things that sometimes we don't consider or don't talk about? And actually female health started coming up more and more as a point of conversation. 
throughout my vibe program something that actually comes up quite regularly when I'm doing one-to-one sessions with people is things like the impact of either pregnancy or for some pregnancy loss and miscarriage for others menopause in terms of some of the side effects of that and how it impacts the way that they think the way that they focus and how they feel about themselves in terms of confidence and self-worth and how things like anxiety that have maybe never been a problem start to creep in so off the back of that conversation I thought I know who I'm going to ask to come and join us for a little conversation Um, and we want to talk today around the impact of female health on leadership and we're going to look at this from a couple of different perspectives. First, first of all, as the female leader, if you are the female leader, what are some of the challenges that we might encounter, whether that's in terms of periods and menstrual cycles, whether that's in terms of perimenopause, menopause. But I'd also like to make sure that we have a bit of a conversation around how we support people that are leading others who are experiencing some of these symptoms. So hopefully that's where we're going to go today with this conversation um but as always i've been known to go off on all sorts of tangents so if we start off just by thinking about female health in leadership what from your kind of your research background and from what you observe in your your day job do you see as some of the personal impact of female health on people whether it's in a performance environment or a leadership environment yeah that is a really Good question. I just wanted to, I suppose, pick up first of all that it's great that some of these conversations are now starting to happen. Um, and there is an increased openness, but I still think there's a long way to go. So hopefully this chat will help with some of that today. So, in terms of things that I see or have researched and experienced, um, there are so many different symptoms that we associate with hormone changes. And that can be across like the menstrual cycle, or that can be within perimenopause. Um, And that's really for me what, when we start thinking about leadership and what might affect that, is thinking about those symptoms that are hormone related. So those symptoms can vary massively. Yes, there are some positive ones. I do always like to try and highlight that actually it's not all negative. So within the menstrual cycle, we have before ovulation, this time where we have increased estrogen levels. And actually that can increase confidence, that can increase motivation, that can give us a real energy boost. It can provide a time where actually we're able to manage really challenging conversations. So it's great to, I suppose, recognize actually there are some things that are positive in terms of how you can really think about that um, across, especially when we're thinking about the menstrual cycle. But equally, there is like this awareness that there are some more negative symptoms um, that might have a negative impact on leadership. And that's sometimes the opposite of what I've described. So whether that's, you know, like decreases in mood, changes in emotion, um, feeling more lethargic, more tired, just being able to like process lots of things going on. So sometimes, especially if we're then thinking more into perimenopause brain fog that those words seem to come up so often of having not having that clarity to be able to prioritize to be able to organize just to know what's going on really so there's these like two different aspects but all of these symptoms are related to the changes and the fluctuations in hormones um and I think that can then have 
a knock-on effect in terms of how that then affects someone in leadership if we're thinking of the qualities or just like day-to-day -day functioning and then having confidence in yourself to then be able to to lead when you've got some of those maybe more negative um symptoms shall we say that you're trying to manage and a lot of it's about awareness of your own cycle as well isn't it I know from personal experience there are absolutely periods in a sort of my menstrual cycle where I am on it I am hyper productive I am like oh my goodness I am unstoppable and then literally a couple of days later I'm like no I'm just gonna curl up and go to sleep for three days and I'll see you on the other side and hopefully I'm in a better mood um and I my husband's an elite athlete so he's very up on his female menstrual cycle health and he started going oh it's is this because this is peaking or that is peaking and I'm like shut up and leave me alone but actually that awareness of, okay, I'm just having my few days where I'm actually really lethargic and really tired and I'll come out the other side of it. I've always found very helpful in terms of organising and structuring my time. So I know that if I've got a big project that I need to work on, because I'm quite aware of those fluctuations in myself, I can go, well, I know that those few days are a total write-off. I'll maybe push that to, to the next week are there any other things that you have sort of seen work effectively for people in terms of managing these different symptoms and helping to kind of lean into them a bit right because they're going to happen they're it's it's there it's part of our our sort of our makeup how can we start to leverage them a bit more effectively so if we take menstrual cycle first because I think they are going to be slightly different in terms of menstrual cycle compared to if someone's perimenopausal because when you're in a menstrual cycle, you've got this repeating pattern of fluctuating hormones. So it's easier to be able to identify what's happening at what times. Um, so in that respect, I always having that self-awareness, I think is huge. And to do that, I always recommend just tracking your cycle and tracking your symptoms. And you can then really start working out the pattern of symptoms that are hormone related. You know, there are so many symptoms related to that hormone change that equally could just be what I call life symptoms. So you're a bit more tired. Is that because actually you've just had a week of really bad sleep or are you consistently getting that the week before your period? So start trying to like unpick through tracking those symptoms that are kind of um, common and regular to you based on your cycle. So I would say to try and track for three cycles to try and work that out. Um, and the more you do it, the more you start going, oh, okay. That's definitely that time I notice that symptom more and also start to work out what other external factors influence those symptoms. So actually when you're stressed, does that make your symptoms much worse? Um, and also then making the connections of how you respond to that in work. So, for example, I've actually talked a lot around more emotional, psychological, behavioural symptoms, but equally acknowledging that actually having really bad menstrual cramps if you've got to like lead a meeting and you're sat there with really bad cramps, that's going to be really distracting, really hard to concentrate. I know I've definitely done it myself. And it's just like, just, you know, you're slightly just not there where you're trying to think about what that person's saying to you to listen. But all you can really think about is the pain that you're going in. So actually, once we've started tracking, understanding what, when and what symptoms might happen, we can start actually then start looking at how we can try and mitigate those symptoms. So is that through what you're eating, through exercise, through stress management, um, through your sleep? And you can really start to looking at some of how we can manage these symptoms so they don't have a negative effect. 
that's almost kind of my first go-to, like, can we manage and prevent? But equally, also aware that that's not always possible. So then the next step is, okay, if we do get these symptoms, how are we going to manage them? So if we take the physical pain, for example, can you take, you know, as long as you've got no underlying medical condition, ibuprofen the day before you're likely to get cramps. So you're not in that meeting going, my stomach cramps are just starting. You've like been proactive in reducing that. Or if you've got a really big meeting, can you try and schedule it in when you're on that? Like, you know, you're focused or you've got a lot of confidence or maybe the time when you feel a bit calmer, which can be after ovulation. Um, if you need to know that it might be a bit more of um, confrontational or you need to like manage a situation. So it's really starting to unpick that. Um, and what is difficult is everyone is unique. So everyone has their own experience of their menstrual cycle. So there's not a one size fits all or this will work for everyone. But actually, by starting to understand you, you can start kind of working with it rather than just seeing it as this kind of negative effect. Yeah, and then I guess that works really nicely until we start to hit perimenopause, right? That self-awareness of, oh, I've got this all under control. Then what starts to happen to our bodies then as we hit perimenopause? What are the symptoms we should be looking out for? When can it start? What What is the impact that we're likely to see on people? In the most positive way I can describe it, essentially it turns a bit chaotic. So all of a sudden, rather than having this nice fluctuating pattern of hormones, Yes, we've had ups and downs, but they are consistent or should be if you have a regular cycle. When you go into this perimenopause phase, hormones go up and down in no specific pattern. Essentially, they all keep changing um, until you get to a point of menopause, which is 12 months of not having a period, which is then when we're in postmenopause after that time. So during that time, those changes in hormone levels, and when actually one thing I haven't said is we're talking about estrogen and progesterone when I'm talking about fluctuating hormones, um, that that can cause loads of different symptoms, some similar to menstrual cycle, but others that kind of are on the onset of perimorse that might give that indication is things like hot flushes, um, increased anxiety and depression, um, kind of lack of clarity in terms of thought processes um they're kind of i would say some of the most commonly reported symptoms associated with perimenopause um normally perimenopause can last up to 10 years unfortunately um around like 45 to 50 is really when like we start seeing that that's like the most common age yes it can be earlier or slightly later but that's the kind of common age bracket that perimenopause is likely to occur um so that's when it gets really difficult because all of a sudden that pattern isn't predictable um so trying to find ways to manage that is um definitely definitely harder and it's um it's interesting sort of thinking about the career trajectory of people in education in particular is particularly for women if they choose to or are able to have children often there's a slight interruption in terms of their time in school often 
takes a little while to get back into the swing of things once we return to work. Then we start to see a bit more of that acceleration into more leadership roles. And interestingly, it's bang smack in the middle of perimenopause starting to kick in that we're most likely to see women stepping into particularly senior leadership roles where actually that mental acuity and that ability to make decisions and manage our emotions and all of those things become more and more important so so it's just unfair isn't it isn't it's just not not very fair sometimes but because we know that it's likely to happen are there any things that we can start to be considering of, okay, if I'm in a leadership role or a senior leadership role and brain fog, so in a lot of my one-to-one coaching with, and this is how women describe themselves, like, well, I'm of a certain age, you know, it's like we've got this, this magical code, instead of saying I'm menopausal or I'm perimenopausal, although I do see a shift in that in terms of people's openness about talking about it. But there's always that, oh, I'm of a certain age. And it's almost like they're using that as a way of beating themselves up. You know, saying, oh, I'm of a certain age, my brain's not working properly. Or, oh, I'm more anxious. Or, oh, the brain fog's kicked in. I've no idea what's going on. And, like, this is often where I see that crisis of confidence come along with it. So is there anything that we can be doing, either ourselves, so if it's us that are going through it, or if we are working with or supporting people that are managing some of these symptoms regularly so anything that we can be doing to help support that effectively there are lots of things we can do from a symptom management perspective um self-care is a primary one so do not feel guilty for taking five minutes to yourself and doing something that makes you you know feel less anxious can manage that stress um you know whether that's and this is just taken from personal experience and I suppose working very much in a elite or outdoor environment, but going for a walk, you know, just taking that time you're outside, that can really help. That's so important. And I think something more and more when you go into a higher leadership is the hours that you need to work, the workload that you've got to do, but actually by just taking even that five minutes yourself can really allow that reset that kind of rather than all just keep kind of building up and building up it give you that just give yourself that reset time um, and that time just for yourself consolidate a little bit um exercise is a huge one as well in terms of like managing symptoms we know that there are some really positive effects of exercise on managing menopausal symptoms so again it's really counterintuitive, especially like there might be a lot of time sitting, there might be a lot of time in meetings, you know, can you fit in even if it's that kind of 15 minutes of movement um, can really help manage those symptoms. Um, other little silly things are like sleep will be really affected by hot flushes. And when you're more tired, that then has a knock on effect with brain fog, stress levels, anxiety. So actually what works for you in terms of sleeping is that making sure your bedroom's cooler is that changing what bedding you've got on and although they sound maybe really simple obvious things sometimes I think there's the perception that we just got to get on with it rather than actually what can we do to make this better for ourselves um and really coinciding with that is in terms of what can we do to make it better for ourselves is actually having the confidence just to say to someone, 
I'm really struggling today. Like I'm perimenopause. These are my symptoms I'm experiencing. And, you know, tr having that support around you. So rather than keeping it locked in, thinking you've got to like struggle through, I think sometimes just opening that conversation up it also makes it easier for the other person you're working with if they're like why is she like that today actually sometimes that context makes a huge difference and um, that's, that's a really interesting observation because a huge amount of work I do is in high schools and we make all sorts of allowances for teenagers behavior because we know that they're going through these massive hormonal changes but then there is almost just this expectation of well you're an adult now you just have to get on with it whereas actually it's in terms of hormone changes and impact on how we're thinking and feeling it's it's almost the same isn't it in terms of it's like what we go through as we go through puberty when they've got a teenager going through puberty hormones are changing hormones are fluctuating and they take a while to settle down and that causes all these different emotions and different behaviors and essentially we're at the other end of the spectrum then when you get to perimenopause that those hormones are doing the same, but in the opposite direction, they're lowering rather than starting to build. And I think, you know, really just understanding, but for people around, but also for the individual, that that's not something that they can control. And it's also something that's not their fault. Yes, there are things that they can maybe do to try and manage those symptoms, as we've just mentioned, but ultimately that is a, a natural physiological process that's happening. Um, and it's not something that we should feel that has to be hidden or like suffer or not shared with. Um, but just to that point, I do always highlight if symptoms are really bad, go and speak to your GP, like go and seek, you know, medical advice, because there are different things that you can do and to really help manage that. So I've had um, women in the past that have said I've had to stop work because I just can't manage the brain fog or the anxiety or the stress but actually they've not gone to explore what options there are in terms of actually managing those symptoms it's not something that you just have to put up with there are there are definitely options and solutions for that yeah and you can see a sort of a shift in mindset coming just because people I think are talking about it much more it's something that seemed to before like if I think about my mum's generation it's just something that you got on with you know yeah, it was like exactly. it almost was like it was kind of taboo you didn't really talk about it you just got on with it whereas I think now that we've got much more open communication around all sorts of health conditions mental well-being conditions physiological conditions and the fact that female health something that happens to 50% of the population has taken this long to be kind of spoken about properly baffles me but one of the words that you used earlier on really sort of sort of struck a chord I guess in terms of like don't feel guilty about taking time to go for that walk or to do this or to do that and this is actually something I see a huge amount in leaders and senior leaders is because they've so much on their plate and they're spinning so many plates and they are very much in service to other people whether that's at work whether that's at home that amount of guilt of is it okay if I take that bit of time can I give myself permission to go for a swim or go for a walk or every so often I just find myself sitting in the car outside the house going just need five minutes so yes I'm home and I know my kids are in there and I know my husband's in there and I know the dogs need walked and I know dinner needs made but do you know what in order for me to keep all those plates spinning 
just need five minutes of silence or five minutes to answer an email without being interrupted or being asked for something. It's taken me a long time to get to that point. And I talk about well-being all day, every day. So I can only imagine what it's like for, for those that maybe haven't immersed themselves in the importance of self-care. Is it something that you come across quite a lot? Is that that guilt playing a bit of a feature? Yeah, massively. And I think also sometimes when, when you get into something, you know, you're almost in this like hamster wheel that you almost don't realise you need to take that break to reset. Um, so it's really trying to, rather than get into that point, you know, how can we make sure just like, you know, day to day, we just have that five minutes. So then it doesn't get to that point where we don't recognise we need to stop. We don't recognise that we're struggling with that. And we then feel guilty or don't can't really work out within a timeline, how do we fit that in? Um, and I think sometimes, you know, it's if you've got an hour to go and exercise, that's amazing. But that's sometimes also not realistic. And I think because if you think you haven't got an hour, there's no point. Whereas actually just like, like I know I keep saying, it, but just that five minutes can make a huge difference um, in order to just kind of to have a bit of a check in, check in with yourself. Like, how am I feeling? How am I coping? What do I need to do? Um, and then like start again. Um, and that might be sometimes, you know, when I'm doing that, I'll have like, you know, it's great having phones now. I'll make just a couple of voice notes for myself. I'm like, oh, when I'm in that headspace, all of a sudden I've got time to think about all of those things that I haven't had time to really process. So I'll just make a quick voice note for me to go back to. So I'm not worried about forgetting. So I can really just enjoy and be in that time um, rather than be like, I need to not forget to do that. Um, so it's kind of, again, what trying to find what works for you, but also, yeah, not having that guilt that you shouldn't be doing that. And a lot of this conversation has been from the if it is you that is going through it perspective. What if you're the person that's leading or managing women that are experiencing perimenopause or menopausal sy sy symptoms I can't talk today I don't know what's wrong with me <laughs> <laughs> what what can we be doing as leaders male or female to help make that easier for people that are experiencing these symptoms what would you recommend I'm really glad you said male and female because actually sometimes there's the assumption that it's just males that maybe don't understand but equally, I've worked with some females that haven't had any symptoms of menopause. So sometimes they see that others are using that as an excuse or just need to get on with it. And we're actually, again, as I said at this previously, it is unique and it is different. So some people really might struggle compared to others. Um, I think a big part of it is the environment that's created and this probably goes beyond just talking about menopause you know if we're thinking about mental health all different aspects of health and well-being but an environment that's open that there can be a conversation if needed in terms of I'm experiencing these symptoms I'm experiencing um, perimenopause or whatever that might be and actually it's affecting x y and z and then really that you know as someone may be supporting others helping them navigate actually what can they do in terms of their workload or in terms of their schedule that might make a difference um and I think just having that kind of even knowing that they're 
open to that conversation and that they're able to go and have that conversation without being judged, without being worried that they might then lose their leadership position because they've seen that they're not managing. Um, so I think as those people managing, creating an environment where it's safe and open to talk is probably one of the most fundamental aspects from my perspective. Um, and even just taking the time to acknowledge that actually someone might be struggling or small things could make a really big difference. It all really comes down to that psychological safety that we create as leaders, doesn't it? Of how yeah. does it feel to be part of this team? Because within a leadership team, I work with all sorts of senior leadership teams across all different um, industries. Not, I do a huge amount of work in education, but I work across industry and it's really interesting seeing how things are managed differently sometimes it comes down to like well, what's the gender makeup within particular senior leadership teams and obviously there's been a huge amount of work in more recent years to make sure that we have much more equal representation and um, when it comes to our leadership teams education's always been slightly different because we have a higher percentage of women in education but still quite often we'll find that in particularly secondary schools, we're more likely to have a male head teacher or males that are in senior leadership positions. But one of the things that I have definitely noticed change when I do sort of group work with those senior leaders is just more openness around how are we doing? How are we thinking? How are we feeling? I think it was creeping in pre-COVID. I think COVID maybe accelerated conversations around well-being, mental health, but if you think around your uh, the leadership team that you have, you could have people that are experiencing menopause. You could have people that are managing chronic pain. You could have people that have loved ones that are unwell and they're caring for older parents or partners. You could have people that are experiencing grief and sort of trying to manage those symptoms. And so often that expectation of putting a brave face on and sucking it up and getting on with it actually doesn't lead to healthy working environments. So a lot of the things that we're talking about today, yes, we focus more on menopause, perimenopause, but a lot of the advice is actually really helpful for dealing with all sorts of different things that affect how we think and how we feel as well. So for leaders, it's often taking that step back and thinking, where are my people at? And just because I've got a friend that has experienced very early menopause due to um, a cancer diagnosis, it's not only older women that experience these symptoms. Sometimes we'll see it in much younger women, but it's maybe not spoken about as much. So that openness and that awareness of how are we thinking, how are we feeling? Of course, there's elements of our health we want to keep confidential. But the more psychological safety we have, the more likely it is that people will feel open to talk about um, how they're doing on a, a more physiological and psychological level. I think so. And then I suppose the other aspect that I was thinking of when I was listening to you talk then is from a, a male perspective. It's understandable like they don't go through, they don't have a menstrual cycle and they don't go through perimenopause. So actually they they don't know how it feels. And they haven't got that relatable aspect. But equally, if there is a male that's in a senior leadership position um, and someone comes to you and says that they're struggling because of perimenopausal symptoms, I think it's OK for them to say, look, I don't know what that means. But actually, then how can we work out how can we find out what that means or how can they increase their awareness? Um, 
But I think, you know, if if there's that openness on both sides of someone going to speak to their leadership team to say they're struggling, but equally, especially males that maybe don't have that that lived experience to be able to relate to, to be quite open and say, look, I don't know what that means or I've not got much knowledge or awareness of that, but actually together, how can we work this out? You know, like, and then I think that's um, a really important point then in terms of, you know, within within um not just education settings but i think just wider that shift within society of terms of increasing awareness and understanding of menstrual cycle and perimenopause is definitely shifting i've seen a huge shift in the past five years from when i first started um but still has progress to go um but i think sometimes we're also not good at being open about just saying that I don't I don't really know what that means and that being okay feeling like you always have to have an answer so I think that's um from the other perspective of like you know not not being worried that you don't have an answer but kind of trying to work out together some solutions it's really interesting particularly in an education context because as we go through teacher training always remember that shift in like my confidence as a teacher when I went from do I know all the answers to have I helped them work out the answer and I think you go through a similar shift as a leader of I see lots of people who are new into leadership roles who have all this pressure that they put on themselves of I have to be able to do everything myself whereas actually I often talk about leading people it's exactly the same as managing the behaviours in a class and the dynamics in a class because leading adults with all their different sort of experiences and how they're thinking and how they're feeling and what they will do and what they won't do it's actually incredibly similar so we almost need to make that same mindset shift of as a leader I don't have to know the answer to everything I just need to work out how I support my people as effectively as possible and I think something that's come really strongly through this conversation is actually talking about it is really important so I want to take a moment to thank you just now for taking time out of your day to talk to us about this I'm sure Lots of our listeners will have found this really helpful and insightful. If they want to find out more, I already follow you on Instagram. Um, are there, where's the best place for them to, to find out more and follow you and get more amazing insights into how we recognise and manage this on a daily basis? Yeah, so I've got my um, Instagram account, as you've mentioned there, which is optimal.period. And then I've also got um, a website with further information, um, which is optimalperiod dot com um so there's a lot of information around menstrual cycle on there and in process really exciting at the moment is kind of working a bit more around menopause as well so that will be coming soon on there um and i suppose more from a just a slightly different perspective when we're talking about education is also doing a lot of work in terms of helping pupils and students know more about menstrual education so we've also got um perieducation.org where there's different resources, different lessons, um, different things around school environments as well that might also be helpful, not just from a pupil perspective, but also thinking about staff as well. Um, so there's just a few different avenues to explore. That's amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. It has been lovely to have a really just open conversation about all of this and uh, I hope you have a fab day. Thank you. It's been great chatting.